Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Now we are, what, what, what's the book we've been studying? Have you guys been doing it here as well? Is it the Bible? Just checking because I'm hearing rumors. So, okay, so we did Colossians 4 last week. Okay, so let's open up to Colossians 5. Colossians 5, and I'm reading from the NEB this morning, the non-existent Bible, because there is no Colossians 5, but I caught some of you out then. I've actually been given an assignment this morning to uh, highlight a particular sin that is taking place. Why are you guys laughing? I can't keep a straight face if you're laughing at me to highlight a particular sin that has been taking place within the church. And, uh, I, you know, it's tough for me to stand here and have to be the one that does this. But some things need to be exposed. And I just pray that we could be gracious and kind with each other. But it's come to my attention that people in this room have been lying. Don't look at the people next to you because I'm probably talking to you. People in this room have been lying, and some of us for years. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Here is the lie that many of us are engaging with. You did not read the terms and conditions that you accepted when you signed up to whatever it was you signed up to. And I know this because no one reads the terms and conditions on the things that you sign up for. Does anyone want to expose themselves today? Joe, you read them. Oh, you you don't? Yeah, okay, good. You know that then you have actually lied, that you've read the terms and conditions. And I don't want to heap you with condemnation today. That's not my job. But I thought, man, it would be so cool if someone did something with terms and conditions. And then I found this. This was actually the terms and conditions from GameStation that they put in on April the 1st. It says, By placing an order via this website on the first day of the fourth month of the year 2010, and no Domini, you agree to grant us a non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. Should we wish to exercise this option, you agree to surrender your immortal soul and any claim you may have on it within five five working days of receiving written notification from gamestation.co.uk or one of its duly authorized minions. They actually put this in their terms and conditions on April Fool's Day. And as a result of this, they now own the rights to 7,500 people's immortal soul. So you better read your terms and conditions. I had a look at it, and I think it's iTunes has like 26,000 words in their terms and conditions, which is about the size of a 100-page book. So I don't read them either. Read the TikTok ones. Yeah, well, there's some stuff in these terms and conditions that you might want to be looking to. But uh, it also has come to my attention that perhaps some of us in the room treat the Bible in the same way. 
where we read the, the bits that we feel are inspirational or the things that might kind of um, kick us up for the day. But then when we come to different parts of the Bible, like lists or names or measurements, it's like terms and conditions. Yeah, I ticked that. I read that. You go through your Bible plan, Leviticus. I know you were skipping some stuff there. I know you were. I do it too. But I want to say, I want to dis- discourage us. I'm always trying to encourage people. I want to discourage us this morning, to discourage us from skim reading the Scriptures, from just kind of flicking through those little bits that we think are insignificant. Because I want you to know that there is no part of God's Word that is insignificant. Every measurement, every name, every weight, every line, every geographical location was God-ordained and inspired to be contained within the Word. And if it wasn't supposed to be there, then He wouldn't have put it in there. So if it is in the Word, there's some meaning and some uh, connection to whatever it is that He wants to do in our lives. And so don't skim-read the Scriptures. As we were reading through the book of Colossians, I'm actually going to engage with Colossians 4 from a different perspective this morning. Because as we were reading through the book of Colossians, uh, I saw that there was some things that are uh, contained in Colossians 4 that don't just teach us theology or to or how we should even live, but they contain the, the stories of the gospel being outworked in community life. And we could read through this, this chapter and just kind of miss what is actually outworking physically in the Bible. We know that the Bible was written by people, inspired of God, but they were real people. The Apostle Paul, who wrote to the Colossians, was a real person writing to real people. It's not a fairy tale. It's not just some sort of uh, fictional uh, historical account. This is real life stuff that has taken place. Real people with real stories that have been impacted by Jesus, lives changed, and then moving on in ministry for Jesus. And so I'm going to read just a few different things from Colossians chapter 4, but engage out of 4 into some other stuff that we see throughout Scripture. Now, we've just heard that there are some things happening in our uh, community that are not ideal, some things that, that are difficult for us to face and to comprehend and sometimes to engage and walk through. And as I said before, God wants to turn things around. Sometimes He wants to turn our disposition in how we walk through it around. Sometimes He will turn around the situation. Sometimes He will turn something out of the situation. But when we came to the book of Colossians, we were uh, constantly reminded that Paul, while he was writing this, was in prison. Prison doesn't sound to me like something that is necessarily an ideal condition for the preaching of the gospel. But I want to engage with what Pastor Josh spoke through last week with the passage of Scripture um, as he spoke from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Don't turn to Colossians 5. Verse 2, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely. I'll stop there. Verse 4. Pray that I will proclaim this message as as clearly as I should. Again, Paul's in a, in, a, in a difficult situation. 
He's been arrested for preaching the gospel. He's now imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And as we heard last week, his prayer isn't, God, get me out of this place. His prayer is, how do I bring you into this place? His prayer isn't, take me out of prison, take me out of chains. He says, if you guys can pray for us, we actually want more and more opportunities to use the environment, the atmosphere, the space that we are in right now as a place where we can preach the gospel. And this is what we see. One person's prison is another person's platform, dependent on how they understand why they are in the situation they are in. One person could be sitting in a prison cell, woe is me, I've been doing the right thing, I've been serving God, I've been uh, preaching the gospel, and look what has happened to me now. Now I'm in prison. One person could look at that and say, well, I have to press pause now, because I surely can't do anything good in here. I'll wait till I get out of prison, and then I'll get back to the gospel. One person may sit there and just feel down, may have that kind of pity party, uh, I, I, why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? And another person can say, okay, I've been given an assignment here. This is now my little church. And this is where I am going to outwork the gifts and the call that God has for me, regardless of what is going on around me. And where one person sees a prison, another person can see a platform. This is actually the space that I'm going to bring the kingdom of God into. I'm not going to wait till I get out. I'm not going to push pause, stop, sit back and think, well, this is a time when I, I, I'm just restricted or limited. I'm actually going to look, pray for opportunities. Do you want to know how you can pray for me? Pray that in this very place that I am right now, that I have opportunities to preach the gospel, to do the very thing that put me in prison in the first place. Because this place becomes my platform. I don't need a microphone. I don't need a, a, a pulpit. I'm just going to preach the Word of God. And I tell you what, a prison is, is a good place to preach because it's a captive audience. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Because the, the people can't get out of the prison. And so you, there's every, every couple of hours, there's a new person there. There's a new car, guard there. They're getting the gospel preached to them. And Paul says, don't just pray that I'll get out. Don't pray that I'll get through, but pray that right where I am, I bring the kingdom of God. Some of us are praying, God, get me out of this situation. And God might be saying, I want to work, you, work with you in that situation. Maybe you think it's an assignment from the enemy that's coming against you. What if God wants to redeem that and turn the assignment that the enemy has sent against you into assignment against the enemy? You're putting me in prison? Okay, well, I'm taking as many people with me. I'm preaching the gospel to as many as I can. Maybe some of us feel like our workplace is a prison. You're like, why am I in this place? I get up at 9 o'clock every day to get there 10 minutes late, drinking my coffee. Why am I in this place? Maybe God's put you in that workplace not just to get an income, but to make a difference in someone's life to preach the gospel. And I'll give you a hot tip. If you don't like your job that much, preach the gospel. You'll get fired. And then you'll get rewarded in heaven. So it's like the best of both worlds. If you really hate it that much, just start preaching, preach, 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 preach the gospel. But see, how we, how we actually see our lives 
will, def- will determine how we spend our lives. The framework that we have with our life actually will affect how we spend our lives. And Paul, we know, has this, this understanding. I want to read from Acts chapter 20. He has this understanding that his life is not about him at all. And everything that he's going to go through is actually an opportunity for him to minister the grace of God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, it says, I am now bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So he knows what is coming. Some of us will hear that and say, well, I better not go then. Well, I better change my plans. God, give me something else. But he says, I know the Holy Spirit has shown me prison and prison and suffering and suffering. And then he says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about this wonderful grace of God. I know what I'm going to go through. I know that there's going to be challenge. I know there's going to be moments of prison time. But my life is actually worthless if I don't use it to, to finish the assignment God has given me. He understood that his life wasn't about him anyway. You know, I said we're being sold lies. We've been sold lots of lies. One of the biggest lies that uh, we're being sold is that life is all about me. It's actually not. No, no, but it's about me and my freedom and I want to be free and do, what, do whatever. No, no, no. When you live in that place, it's actually bondage. And you'll find that after time, after time you will, your, your life will just shrivel away. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. And we just get to play a part in pointing people to Him, in preaching this wonderful gospel of grace and showing people that, that he is real, that he is alive. And so your prison season then, and you might not end up in, in prison, maybe you will soon. I am prophesying somebody you're going to leave the church right now. That's all right. I've only got four more weeks on staff. <laughs> I was like, what are they going to do, fire me? <laughs> you might end up in jail, but some of us might not. And so we might have seasons where uh, we, we go through these times where we're like, man, this is like a prison. What if God wants to use that very season to help someone else find the gospel, to help someone else find Jesus? And if we're too inward and focused on our own things, we might miss the very opportunities that God is surrounding us with. Okay, we're going to jump forward in Colossians and we're going to read uh, the part that I was talking about where maybe some of us skim over. And I, 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 I understand that because some of these dudes' names are really hard to say. But verse 7 says, Tikikikikikikos will give you a... Ref- <laughs> if, if, if I... My, yeah, okay. T will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and T will help, will tell you everything that's happening here. Please forgive me, brother. 
So we see that Paul says, uh, as part of this correspondence, I'm going to be sending Tychicus and Onesimus to bring this letter back to you. And they're going to give a report as well on what has been taking place here. Now, one of those names was hard to say. The other one is Onesimus. And he, it says, is a faithful and beloved brother, one of your very own people. So Onesimus is from the city of Colossae. He was a Colossian. And he was actually, what Paul says about him is that he's a faithful and beloved brother, but he was actually a fugitive. Onesimus was actually on the run. He was an escaped slave. He had probably taken from his master, stolen from his master. And you'll see in Paul's letter to Philemon that he actually uh, speaks about this guy, Onesimus. And so Onesimus had escaped from Colossae. He had run away, stolen, and is now in Rome and in Rome, probably trying to get away because it's a good place to hide in Rome. And somewhere along the line, Onesimus has encountered the Apostle Paul, most probably in prison. So this man, Onesimus, who had run away, encounters the Apostle Paul and is now restored and is being sent back to the Colossians. Think about this. This man, his penalty or his punishment would have been either death or branding. That was what the punishment would be under the law. That he would be a runaway slave, that he would either be sentenced to death or that he would be branded for the rest of his life. And now he is the very one that is going to be carrying this letter back to the church. Talk about restoration. You see, one person's chains lead to another person's freedom. In this case, Paul was in chains and he encounters a slave who is on the run, who he then sends back as a free man. What if your moment of suffering, of struggle, of challenge is actually the opportunity for you to walk with someone else through their struggle, through their challenge. So we see that the letter Philemon was actually written by Paul at the same time that the letter to the Colossians was written. And he sends this letter with that. And I want to read a little bit from that because Paul writes to Philemon, who was the, the, the master of Onesimus, and it says in verse 10 of his uh, letter, it says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been, much, been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. 
that was a term of endearment. That was, that was, that was Paul saying, this, this guy is really, really valuable. This guy is really close to me. Somewhere along the, the line, this runaway fugitive, this slave has become a faithful and beloved brother. And Paul is now sending him back to his old town, restored in the grace of God, carrying a letter to the Colossians to encourage them in their faith. And that's, that, that phrase there, he, is, he has become, I have become his father in the faith while here in prison. So if Paul prayed to get out of prison, then maybe Onesimus would never have met him. If Paul wanted to break out or get out of there, then perhaps this wouldn't have taken place. And so by him being in that situation, which was less than ideal, Onesimus now finds freedom. He finds restoration. He is now sent back, not as a slave, but as a brother. In verse 16, it says, He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. How's that? He's not just a slave anymore. Guess what? He's a brother. Come on, you have the opportunity to walk with people and send them back into the place of restoration. I wonder sometimes if my life, if people leave the presence of my life, better, more whole, more in love with Jesus, or do I perpetuate their problems? You know what I mean? Imagine the conversations that Paul and Onesimus could have had. Uh, Paul could have empathized with him. Oh, your, your master is so, oh, that is so bad that he treats you like that. You should, you should run away. You already have run away. You should run further. You should get out of here. You should never go back to him. You should, you should, you should just you know, sue him or do this or do that and feed into the issue. Instead, he works to redeem the man, restore him, and send him home transformed. Yeah, what, a, what a witness of the gospel being outworked would it have been for Onesimus to be carrying this letter back to the church. And they first see him and think, Hang on a second, it's that guy who's come back. It's the runaway. It's the guy who's on the wanted posters. And now he is a messenger for God? How much would that flip you out? You know, no one, no one, no one is too far from God to be changed, transformed, and redeemed. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I will argue that all day. There is no one. That if they will turn to God, repent, put their, their life in his hands, that they cannot be changed. And so something somewhere happened between Paul and Onesimus. And this man's, this man's life is completely changed. He goes back, not as a slave as he was, but he goes back as a brother. Come on, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. We were all slaves. Slaves to sin. Slaves to our own futile ways. And then we encounter Jesus. He restores us, redeems us, and sends us back into the world. What a testimony. What a testimony. And so from, 
from Paul's perspective, I mean, he's just doing what he does. He's probably not like looking for the one, Isimus. That was another joke, by the way. I'll try it over this side. No, I, I think yeah, I'll just leave that one. <laughs> he wasn't necessarily, you know, like scanning for that one person. I think he was just doing what he did, and he encountered this guy, shared the gospel with him, sent him back a restored person. I want to put this to us as well, because we don't know the, the relationship with Onesimus and his master. We don't know what it actually looked like. I mean, Philemon could have, could have been gracious and merciful and wanted him to come back. He could have. They could have been praying. I mean, the church could have been praying that he, he, he came back. He, he, he was convicted and came back. I want to put this to us. There are people who are praying for loved ones that they will encounter the Lord and you work with them. You, you do life with them weekly. And their parents are praying that, that God would apprehend their lives and you're in their workplace. Perhaps you're the Paul and Onesimus is working with you and he's run away from church. He's run away from God. And, and God's divinely brought you guys together. And he annoys you. And you want to, you want to give him, you want to lay hands. But God's put him there to connect with you and for you to connect. And some of us in this room, we're praying for our family members. We're praying for people who have wandered. I'm praying that they would encounter someone in their workplace, that God would surround them with radical, gracious, loving Christians that are going to be like bumpers to them, to bump them back in the right direction, that are going to work with them, love them, walk with them, and then send them back home, restored and transformed. Come on. Some of you in this room, that, that, that is why you're in that place right now. Let me just encourage you, lift your eyes up. Look around. I've heard stories of people who are in hospital, and they're like, I don't know why the doctors are keeping me this long. I should have gone home a couple of days ago. Pete, this is probably you, is it? He dances out in his little dressing gown thing. He was dancing around in there before. But I don't know why I'm in the hospital. Are they keeping me for this long? And then someone gets brought into the room that connects with them, share the gospel, encourage them, minister to them. And like, oh, that's why. So a couple of extra hours, maybe a couple of extra days, what even a couple of extra years. What, what, what if just one just one. Because your prison could lead to someone else's freedom. If you look at it in that sense. Every single place. God is not haphazard. He doesn't do things by accident. Acts tells us that he sets the boundaries of our lives. You're only here right now because of his divine will. And there is purpose in your being here. Not just in this room today, but being in the places that you are. Keep your eyes open.
because Onesimus might rock up. And guess what? He might not rock up looking redeemed or looking restored. He might look like a fugitive who's run away and taken some cash, got some gold rings and some bling bling, but he's a mess. And maybe you're there. You know, he becomes my son in the faith. I can, I, I can tell you that, that that's, that's not always easy. Yeah, I like the glamorous picture of it. Yeah, the end testimony. But some of the messiness in the middle of it, when you're walking with people who just keep feel like you, they're just going round and round in circles. And you've got to keep being faithful and loving and forgiving given grace but he, he uses a play on words as well because he says um, he said that he was he wasn't useful to you before when he's writing back here he says that, that Onesimus wasn't useful to you before but now he is useful to you and to me the name Onesimus actually means useful it was a name that was given to slaves in particular he was no longer, he, he never used to be useful. His name is useful, but he wasn't useful. I know some, <laughs> some people that are called useful, but they aren't necessarily useful. He was useless, it says. I ain't saying nothing there. He wasn't living up to who he was named to be, but now he is. Can I say as well, we've got to give grace to people to grow. You know, that person that, that used to know all those years ago, that was a complete mess, maybe they're not the same person anymore. And when they rock up and you find them, you see them, you know, you've got to believe that God could have done something in that person's life because he is a God that redeems even the most messiest of people. We don't see it in the scriptures, but Ignatius, one of the, the uh, early writers, actually speaks of Onesimus in his letter to the Ephesians. He writes a letter to the Ephesian church, and he addresses Onesimus, the bishop of Ephesus, saying some of the things from this, this very letter that we've written, which would give us a hint that this Onesimus, who was once a runaway slave, potentially became the bishop of Ephesus. Think about that for a transformation. Think about that for a change. He, was no, he wasn't even useful, and now he's a bishop. God can do the most miraculous, wonderful, incredible things with a life who would just lay themselves down. God, do what you want. Do what you want. I'll finish off with this, and I'll make sure that I do, because I don't really like it when people say, I'll finish with this, and then I'd go on for another six points. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, verse 10. Say that with me. Uh, artichoke. Uh, what? Aristicus. That's why people do that. Say that with me because you don't know what you're saying. I should have learned that many, many years ago. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, as, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. 
as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They have been, uh, they are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Can I just point out one more person in this passage? It's the man named Mark. And Paul says here that Mark was a, a fellow worker, that he has become a comfort, and that when Mark comes their way, that they are actually to open the doors to him. Mark was Barnabas's cousin, and at one point in time, uh, when Paul and Barnabas had gone on a missions trip, they took this man named Mark with them. And Mark... Uh, probably was selected because he's connected with Barnabas, he's his cousin, and so they take him, they, they, they've, they've been in Antioch, they come back to Jerusalem, and then they're going from Jerusalem back to Antioch, and they say, we're going to take some people with us, and, and Mark, John Mark is going to be one of those people. We read in Acts 13, verse 13, that Paul and his companions left, say that with me, Paphos, and by a ship to Pamphylia, landing at the port of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Poseidon. So they bring Mark with them, and not even, I think it's the first stop of this mission trip. Mark says, No, I'm going home. And he abandons them and goes back to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas continue on in their mission. Now, we know that Paul wasn't too fond on Mark as a result of this because they come back to Jerusalem and then they're going to go back on another trip to go and strengthen other uh, believers. And we read in Acts 15 verse 37, it says, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. So he's like, we should go, yes, but I want to bring Mark again. And Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them Note that word, he deserted them. This is what they described his leaving as. It was deserting the team. Them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and he left. The believers entrusted to the, them to the Lord's gracious care. So at one point, Mark deserted Paul and they're talking about going on another trip. And Paul's like, no, nah, I'm not taking him. He ditched us then. He's going to ditch us again. He, he, he's not good. We, we can't go with him. I'm definitely not going. It was so sharp, this disagreement, that they, they went in two different directions. And now we read Paul is writing later on in his life to the Colossians. And he actually is commending Mark, the same guy that deserted him. The same guy that walked away from him. Not just commending him, but he's saying, while I'm here in prison, Mark has been such a comfort to me. He has been such a comfort to me. And it, gets, it goes on even beyond this because when Paul is then released and then he is imprisoned again and coming toward the end of his life, in 2 Timothy, he writes to Timothy and he says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in the ministry. Something changed in the time between 
them going on that, that second trip when he deserted him. And now to the point where Paul's like coming to the end of his life and he says, I want Mark with me. When you come, like, bring Mark because he, he, he's helpful. He, he's useful. He, he'll be a comfort to me. One person's restoration can lead to another person's refreshment. When someone has been restored, they become a refreshment to others. Mark deserted them, walked away, left them. It might have been too hard. It might have been not up his alley. Maybe he wasn't mature enough, whatever it might have been, but he deserted them. And Paul's like, I'm not doing this again with this guy. But then something changes between the period that we read first and now, where he's like, Mark is such a comfort to me. You know, so that, that person that you might have written off, what, what if that person becomes a refreshment to you or to someone else in the future? What if God brings you back into each other's lives and you're both totally different people? And God uses that very person that once harmed you to refresh you, that once abandoned you to now comfort you. What if God would do something so crazy? And so we ask the question, well, where was Mark? Where did he go after he sailed with, after this place of splitting? Where was he during those times? And we can see that Mark penned the gospel of Mark, which he was working with Peter. He was working with Peter. In 1 Peter 5, verse 13, it says, Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son, Mark. The, the same phrase that Paul uses with Onesimus, Peter now uses with Mark. So somewhere along the line, when he left Paul, he ended up with Peter. And Peter discipled him, and Peter walked alongside him, and Peter helped to see him restored, and Peter saw his life redeemed, and then he sent him back to Paul. And if there's anyone that could teach you about deserting Jesus and being restored, it's Peter, because he was pretty good at that. He did it a few times. Isn't it so gracious of God to lead us into the lives of people who have walked through things that we've walked through, that we're walking through right now, so they can help to restore and redeem and see us set free? That God would lead Mark to the very right person who understood what it meant to be called a deserter, who understood the guilt that he must have felt, who understood the, all the, the heaviness that comes with that, but also understood the grace of God that can redeem and restore and set you back on the right track. Come on, no one is too far gone. I want to pray for us today that, that God leads people into our lives who just need that word of encouragement, the, the, the runaways. I want to show you a quick picture, and I'll finish with this. Oh, you didn't even pick up on that. I said that twice. You see these three triplets here? This, this guy on the left, many of us would know Kyle. Kyle, he, he's, a, he's such a, a great guy. But I'll tell you the story that, uh, where, where I met Kyle. Kyle was living 
between houses. He was, he was couch surfing. He was on drugs. He was, um, he was an addict. He was you know, in a really, really, really messy place. And Kyle's mum was connected to a life group in our church. And I, you guys are still in that life group back there. Um, and so they, they weren't actually coming to our church, but said through the life group leader, can you guys please be praying for this person's son? And then one, it was Judy Joyce actually said to me, contacted me and said, could you catch up with him? He's open to talking, but he's a mess. And so I went and caught up with him, had a coffee with him at Jamaica Blue, and he had the most filthiest mullet. I don't know, do you guys get mullets out here? We got heaps of them in Ellenbrook. It's like the culture. But he had the best mullet. It was epic. And anyway, we, we would sit there and we'd just drink coffee and chat. And he would swear so often, so much. And he was a broken young man. And anyway, we talk and talk and talk and talk. And eventually, he, he, he comes to, to Christ. He goes to the Teen Challenge. His life is restored. And now he heads up our music ministry in Ellenbrook. And I, I got to play a part in walking with him. But I tell you what, this guy is such a refreshment to me. He is such a refreshment to me. There are days where, like, whatever he's, he's ministering or, you know, he just his, his disposition, it is a refreshment. I want to I tell you that some of the people that have been written off the most will become the greatest refreshment to you. If you can see who they can be in Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, those little things, those little stories that sometimes we don't see at first. I pray you'd give us eyes that would open to see the truth and the beauty of the scriptures. Lord, to see the life-transforming power of Jesus at work within people's lives. I thank you for every person in the room today. And Lord, as, as we um, leave this place today and we go back to our um, home environments, to our work environments, to uh, whatever the messiness might be, whatever the cleanliness might be, God, I pray that we would go back with different dispositions, with eyes that would be open to see the Onesimus or the Mark who is fleeing, who is trapped, who is struggling, who is lost and just needs someone to stand with, to believe in them, to point them in the right direction. Lord, I pray that, that you would open our eyes to see what you are doing and that we would know that every single person is precious to you and that you desire to see them come to the knowledge of Christ and to see their lives be a witness for you in your redeeming, transforming power. Lord, I also pray for those of us in this room today who have family members and friends and people that we care about who have run away, who have wandered off track, who are now in a different place. God, we pray that you would put Christians in their path. God, that you would surround them with people who would love them, that would, would point them in the right direction. God, almost that every, every point of their lives that they go, that someone would be there, like a signpost pointing them back to you. And Father, we pray that this house would be filled with testimonies of Onesimus who come back, 
of runaways who come back, of people who come back changed and transformed. Lord, I speak it over our church family, and we just pray that you would do what only you can do and change the lives of all those that we care about and bring them to the knowledge of Christ, our Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.